Justice Hearing and the Senior Counsel for Mobility for this Health Dispatch Church. And again, thank you, Jeff, for joining us this morning as we worship and serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, just a couple things I want to note. Uh, we had our work day yesterday. Man, I just, I just love our church community. I just, so many people came out. It was such a joyful and sweet experience together to work together, to clean stuff, to build stuff. And uh, it's just such a great time to be together. And I, I just, I, I went away saying, I love these people so much. Um, and, and so I just want to thank all those who came out. I want to thank the deacons for doing all the, the logistics of that, getting everything together. I want to thank Michelle and Adam for all their help in doing that as well. And so, but just thank you, church body. You, uh, as you saw, Jim, David, and myself, and Caleb here, you, you do not make it hard for shepherds. Uh, it is a joy to shepherd you. And so thank you for giving us room and doing that. And uh, speaking of shepherding, we had our first elders meeting with Caleb Bates present last Tuesday. He immediately resigned after the meeting. I said, look, look. I know that not everyone in this group is as easy to work with as I am, Caleb. I know Jim and David, they, they're problems. But look, you know, I've had, I've had to, the Lord has given me great patience with them. And, and so, no, unfortunately, I'm usually the problem, and uh, as I was this past week. And so, Caleb was able to see that, oh, I, I thought Jim and David were the problem. From everything that Wes says. Uh, I see that Wes is the problem, so, uh, but no, it was actually a very sweet first meeting uh, where it is just in the room, it is evident that all four of us love what we do, are honored to get what we do together, and there is a camaraderie and bond in that room where we can be at each other's necks one second, and then just laughing in sweet prayer and in tears over one another the next. You can't manufacture it. It is only by God's grace and his sweet spirit in us, the bond and unity of spirit that we have. And I'm thankful for Jim and David and Caleb. I'm thankful that they're my family. I'm thankful they're my family. And so I appreciate you, the family. Thank you for pastoring me and my family. Well, we'll be in Exodus chapter 12, verses 32 through 51. And if you would, once you arrive there, if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. Exodus chapter 12, verses 32 through 51. It says this, The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls, being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of dough that they had brought out of Egypt. For it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt. It could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. 
At the end of 430 years on that very day, all the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hand. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And as we say multiple times, we cannot live by bread alone, but every word that comes from you, O God, your word is truth and your word is life. Where else do we have to go? You have the words of life, God, and truth. And so this morning, I pray, soften our hearts, make them receptive to hear your word, to be transformed by them, by the spirit that is at work in us. Convict us of sin, uproot sin and evil desires in our heart, that we may pursue holiness and righteousness in this world. Because God, you are a holy and righteous God, worthy of all affection and praise. But God, you desire your people to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. So God, empower us through your spirit and your word to do that god this morning i want to just pray and thank you for our pastors and elders for jim for david for caleb i personally am so thankful that god you have ordained and seen fit to put them in my life in my family's life god that you have used their relationships god to instruct me to to call me to to repentance to to keep me living righteously god thank you for their investment in my life Thank you that, God, you use people like pastors and shepherds to help us in this journey of faith to live more like Jesus Christ. I thank you, God, for Jim and David, for Caleb, God, and what they mean to me and my family and to this church, God. I thank you, God, for the people of Crosspoint here, the love and the unity that you've given us in the Spirit, God. Continue, God, using the unity in the Spirit and the bond of peace that we have to help us pursue the mission that you've given us, God, to make disciples of all nations for the good of all people and for your glory, O oh God. Lord, I know this morning that there are many in our congregation who are hurting right now, who are walking through difficult scenarios and situations right now. God, I lift up Miss Ruby right now, who has lost her nephew this past week. God, I pray for comfort and for peace for her family, O oh God. I pray, Lord, that you would bring her sweet, reassurance, Lord, that you are a good God, worthy of praise, that you are kind and comforting and compassionate, and that you would be compassionate to her and her family right now as they mourn the loss of her nephew. I pray right now for Miss Diane Paul and Michael Paul as they care for Miss Diane's mom. Give Miss Diane strength and stamina. As we know, many of in our congregation are caregivers to their family and to their mothers and fathers, so I pray for all of them like Messiah and Paul and Miss Stacy Glenn and others who are caring 
they are parents, they are doing a righteous and good work, and their labor is not in vain. God, give them strength and stamina in that. God, I pray for David Bolton right now and Miss Anna. Uh, we're we're, we're uh, brokenhearted over just the inability to, to for the procedure to go through, but God, we do pray for wisdom for the Boltons and for the doctors as they navigate the, the, the days ahead and what is to be done. God, I pray that you would give the Bolton family right now reassurance in the fact that, God, you know all things. You have all things in your hands, and you can do all things, God. This can be done through and in you. We pray right now for Miss Debbie Stark as she continues to recover from her procedure, God, that you can continue to give her strength, continue to build her back up so that she may be able to rejoin us here in corporate worship. God, I pray for the Uganda team as they begin to prepare to go. I pray that you would go ahead and begin softening hearts there in Uganda to hear the gospel, to be equipped with the gospel, Lord, to respond to it. I pray for our team members, God, as they go, Lord, that you would begin even preparing their hearts now and that you would be using missions to do a work in them, a work of sanctification, God, in them and make them more like you, God. God, I thank you again for your word. Be with us now as we study it, learn from it, and are transformed by it. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Many of you may be familiar with the phrase, getting out of Dodge, right? And we say that phrase when we are trying to get out of a situation hastily or very quickly. I'm getting out of Dodge, right? I'm getting out of here. I don't, I, I don't have time to spin around here. It doesn't look good, so let's get out of here very quickly. And this title actually fits well with what's going on in Israel's life right now in the midst of, in the midst of Egypt, is we're on the back end of this. We've seen the plagues, we've seen everything go through, and now Israel is getting out of Dodge. They're getting out of Egypt, and they're getting out quickly, right? And they're getting out of Dodge very differently than how they, ent- I keep referring to Egypt as Dodge, but they're getting out of Egypt in a different way than when they entered it. They're going to get out with certain things. They're going to get out with additional people. And they're going to get out with certain conditions that God gives them about the Passover. So they'll be leaving with certain things. They'll be leaving with different people, more people. And they'll be leaving with certain conditions of how to worship God in the future. And that's the main point of what we're trying to get at in 33 through 51 this morning. Is we're going to see three different movements here in these verses. Is that one... God is providing for his people in their exodus, in their leaving Egypt. God is even protecting his people when they're leaving Egypt. He's not just delivered them just to forsake them. He's delivered them to care for them along the way. And the last is that when we get the details about the institution of the Passover, we are seeing that God gives certain conditions for his worship, yes, but he's also inviting the nations, even the Egyptians, to worship him. Even the Egyptians to worship. And so let's look at these three different movements, three different themes here in these verses. The first one is this, is we're going to see God's provision here for his people in verses 33 through 36. God's provision for his people as they leave Egypt. As you know, people who win the lottery or maybe NFL draft, if you ever watch the NFL draft, I, I was told by someone this week that I don't, I make too many football analogies and illustrations. I don't make enough pickleball illustrations. So, uh, no, I'm not naming any names of people. Um, but 
I, I would assume there's a pickleball draft. And, uh, you know, just like the NFL draft, when, when a player out of college gets drafted, right there, when they call that name, when they call his name, you know what happens? That player turns into a millionaire in the snap of a finger, right? Happens in all the drafts. Baseball draft happens in, happens in all these. They become a, a, a millionaire right there when they say their name. Same thing happens with the lottery. When, you're, when the number is called and you have it, millionaire right there in the snap of a moment. Right there. And this is what's interesting here is that Israel becomes basically millionaires in the matter of a snap of a finger, just like that here in Exodus 12, 33 through 36. They become, in a moment, so wealthy and plentiful. It is a rags-to-riches story here that we have in Israel. You know their story, that they've been, they've been in poverty, they've been in oppression, they've been in turmoil, and right in a moment, they become instantly wealthy. Look how God brought that about. Is that after the, after the tenth plague, in verse 33, we get this. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out in haste, right? The people were urgent. The Egyptians, get out of here. We've seen what's happened. We don't want you here no more. Which is kind of an ironic statement in, in a sense. Because for this long, Pharaoh has done all that he can to what? Keep Israel where? In Egypt. Is that Pharaoh has done everything he can to be stubborn and obstinate to keep Israel in Egypt. And guess what? The Egyptians are doing everything they can to what? Get Israel out of Egypt. You see the distinction here? The Egyptians have seen what God can do. He, they've seen what Yahweh can do. Get out of here. We don't want you. You, you are a bat. You're like, a, you're like an unlucky rabbit's foot. You, you're bad news for me. Get out of here, Egyptians. And they recognize, look, they recognize if they stay here, we're all going to die. So they say, look at this. We shall all be dead, verse 33. They recognize if they continue in this obstinate outlook, this obstinate approach to God and to Yahweh, is that it's not just going to cost them their livestock. It's not just going to cost them their land. It's not even just going to cost them their firstborn. It's going to cost them their life if they continue to be obstinate to God and what he has demanded Egypt to do, to let go of Israel. And is not that a warning for us as believers? Is that not a warning for us? is that disobedience and resistance, it may appear to work for you for a time, but let me just say this, that's going to fail. It won't work for you forever to be disobedient and obstinate to the Lord. Punishment, justice, judgment, discipline will ultimately come about. So take, take Egypt as a warning to you if you think that you can live this life in disobedience to God and obstinate to God and nothing's going to happen, recognize this. That's a fairy tale of what you're seeing here. God will not allow that to continue to go unjust. And so the Egyptians recognize if we keep doing what we've been doing, you know that old saying, you keep doing what you've been doing, what's going to happen? going to keep getting what? The same, same result, same outcome, same problem. Israel, Egypt's learning this. We keep being obstinate. We keep, keep being foolish. We keep resisting God. We're going to continue 
to be changed. They're passionate for the Lord. And so they're ready to get Israel out of Egypt. Get out of here. Get out. They're urgent. They're, go, 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 go. But Israel's going to leave in a different manner than how they lived there and how they came in there. They're not leaving empty-handed, right? They will leave Egypt in a better financial position than when, than what they had while living there. It says, look at this, verse 36. They plundered the Egyptians. They plundered them. They, they, they asked for the Egyptians to give them silver and gold and jewelry and clothing. Whoa, right? Can you think about that? All that's happened to them, and they're just going to ask for this stuff? Hey, would you mind giving me all your gold and silver and jewelry and garments while I leave town? Yes, take it all. It's all yours, right? How can this be? How can this work? Why is this happening? How do they leave? How do they not leave empty-handed, right? Do you think an Egyptian would be so mad at the outcome of what's happened to them? They'd just be like, get out of here. How dare you ask me for for money on the way out. Why are they giving them these things? Why why are they not leaving out empty-handed? You know? Here's it. Here it is. It's not complicated. Why are they not leaving empty-handed? Because God said they wouldn't. Because God said they wouldn't. Look at all the times so far that he said this. Exodus 3.22. He's already going and telling Moses. He said, look, this is what's going to happen. God's laying out what's going to happen in the rest of the Exodus, and he says this, But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and of any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Now that's early on in Exodus, right? Exodus chapter 3. That's when Moses is still kind of like questioning, like, seriously, this is really going to happen? And I can only imagine what Moses is thinking. Like, okay, God, you've already said that you're going to deliver us out of Egypt. You're going to do this to our enemies. You're going to make... You know, basically show Pharaoh that he is not, you know, in charge. And you're going to give us money and possessions on the way out. I can only think what Moses is saying. No way. That's, that is ridiculous, God. There's no way we're leaving out of this land better. But the reason that they do is because God said you would. He said it's even farther out. When God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 that the exodus was going to happen, he said, your people, Abraham, they're going to be in, they're going to be under Egyptian, basically, oppression for 400 years. And this is what he says in Genesis 15 and 14. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, your people. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. God already knew and said it a long time ago. So why did they come out not empty-handed? Because God said they wouldn't. God said they would have possessions when they leave. right? And this is not the last time that God's going to do something like this. You know, when Israel goes into the exile, into Babylonian exile, is that when God brings them out, you know what he gives them? Great possessions. In Ezra chapter 1. He gives them great possessions. So this is not... The last time God's going to do something like this. But how was, how was Israel able to do this? How were they able to plunder the Egyptians? How were they able to do this to their oppressors? Well, I think we know by far, so far right now, is this. Is that typically when we think about plundering and people 
ransacking places. They do it by their military might or their wisdom or all these things. You don't see this here in Exodus 5. It's not by their military might. It's not by their wisdom or their deception or their cunningness or anything like that. Not even by their stature, though that's an incredible thing. It says this. This is the reason they were able to plunder the Egyptians. Verse 36. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. The only reason that this is able to happen is because God allowed it and made it happen and gave them favor in the sight of the Egyptians. This is said again, Exodus chapter 11, verse 3. Exodus chapter 3, verse 21. God had already told Israel, I'm going to give you favor in the sight of the Egyptians. You know who else he gave favor in the sight of the Egyptians to? Joseph. In In Genesis chapter 37. And Joseph became wealthy and plentiful. That wasn't because Joseph was the greatest, the wisest, the strongest. It's because God showed favor and made it happen. It is only by God's power and might. In a matter of moments, Israel goes from rags to riches. Israel went from poor to plentiful, all because of God's power and favor. Israel did not leave with their tail between their legs or like escaped prisoners on the run. They walked out with their heads held high and their chest poked out, right? And actually, the text says that they use the word for army here. They walked out like an army, right? One author says it like this. The Israelites march out of Egypt through the front door with dignity, not like dogs crawling out through the back fence, but like God's people. This exaltation of Israel is another humiliation to Egypt. Their story is that they go from rags to riches, from nothing to plentiful, all because of God's power, God's favor, God's intervention. And let me just say this. This is a... This is a picture of the Christian transformation in us. A rags to riches story. A poor to plentiful. And I'm not talking about material things. As it's very clear, when you come to faith in Christ Jesus, you don't, you're not like an NFL draftee where you become an instant millionaire upon faith in Christ Jesus, right? You may never be a millionaire, right? That's not how it works. But when you come to faith in Christ Jesus, you become instantly rich instantly spiritually rich all because of christ and in christ those who are spiritually destitute those who are spiritually poor us before christ in the matter of a moment upon repentance and faith we become spiritually rich in christ this is what the gospel is about second corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 says this for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich christ was rich Yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus, who was the richest of all, became poor so that we who are spiritually destitute and poor outside of Christ would become rich because and in Jesus. This is our story. The story of Israel's rags to riches is our spiritual story. Us who are destitute, poor, and needy get everything we need in Christ. You might remember this verse from James chapter 2. We're studying James chapter 2 in Sunday school, and it says this. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world 
to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? Well, I've quoted my one of the great theologians to y'all before many times. Her name's Debbie McKay. That's my mom. And uh, as a kid, I've said this numerous times, but I'm going to say it again. As a kid, I said, Mom, I just want to be rich. I want to be rich. I want to have so much money. And she would always say, you are rich. You are rich in Christ. You have everything you need. This morning, this is your story. And if you are not in Christ Jesus, you are the spiritually destitute and poor, needy. And let me just say this. You're looking for different ways to become rich in this world. It might be through wealth. It might be through health. Let me say this. Jesus doesn't promise any of these things, but he does promise you great riches. That no, no rich, rich, richness or wealth can promise you in this world. And that is riches in Christ Jesus this morning. If you're apart from Christ, you are spiritually destitute. You are spiritually needy. You are spiritually in poverty. And you need Christ who was rich, who became poor for your sake so that you might become rich in him. This morning, you can be rich. Who wants to be rich in Christ Jesus? This morning, you can leave out rich. You may have come in spiritually poor and destitute, but you can leave out the richest person ever in Christ Jesus. But God doesn't just fill their knapsacks for the journey. So he's like, oh, God gave them all these great things, gold, silver, jewelry. And he says, okay, y'all, get out of Egypt, and uh, good luck on the way. Here's a map while you go, right? It's not what God does. God doesn't do that. He doesn't just fill their knapsacks. He actually guides them on the way there. He actually protects them along the way. And this is point number two. God's protection, verses 37 through 42. You know, maybe this is just a dry prong thing, but um, I don't know if you've ever went to a family reunion and you and you like ask your mom or your parents, like, who, who are they? Ever been, anybody ever been like that? You go to a family reunion <laughs> in dry prong, it's crazy. Uh, and you're like, dancing on the tables and, you know, and throwing the casserole all over the place. And, and my mom's like, oh, you know who that is. No, I don't, or I, would, I wouldn't ask them, right? Oh, you know who that is. That is your, your cousin, Kenny, second wife, third removed, second in command, adopted sister-in-law's nephew on her husband's side. Oh, yeah, I can't believe I forgot that person. Right? Man, they're so important in my life. But you find out, you know, at family reunions that you may not be blood kin to somebody, but you're still connected to them because they're connected with somebody in the family, right? Is that they they may not be blood, but some members enjoy the benefits of the family reunion feast because of their connection to the family. And this is what we're seeing here in, in Exodus 37 through 42. Is that those who left Egypt are not all Israelites. It's not just Israel leaving Egypt. It's that there are probably some Egyptians leaving with Israel because they've seen the power of God. They've seen what Yahweh can do. And they're like, I want to hitch my wagon to him. I, I want to be connected to him. I've seen what he can do. I've seen his power. I've seen all that he can do. And I, I want to connect my, my wagon to him. And so this is what we're seeing. We're seeing a mass exodus here in verse 37, starting there is that there's a ton of people leaving, and in verse 38, it says this, it's a mixed multitude. 
right, a mixed multitude. It's not just Israelites departing Egypt. It appears that other nations and peoples are joining them. The nations are getting in on the deliverance and salvation of Israel's God. And we see that in the rest of the Bible, too, if you remember that. You remember the story of Ruth, right? Ruth gets in on, is connected to God's deliverance and salvation and God's people, right, through Naomi. We see Rahab, Rahab and her faith to, to the spies. She gets connected to the deliverance of Yahweh and his salvation and his people. And so what we're seeing here is this. And the nations getting connected to Yahweh and connecting to Israel is that here, background, ethnicity, history, nationality, even particular sins, does not exclude you, does not exclude one from salvation if you've come to the Lord in humble repentance and faith. The evil perpetrated by the Egyptians doesn't rule them out from the deliverance. Think about that. These people are the people who oppressed Israel for over 400 years. They're the ones, and they're the same ones who are getting connected, who are enjoying the benefits of God's deliverance. And this morning, isn't that the story of all of us? All of us come here from our different backgrounds, different, different races, ethnicities, histories, even particular sins and sinful habits. And none of these excludes you from God's salvation. None of these say, I, I can't take part in what, in what God is offering. I've done these things. I'm from this background. I've, I grew up in this family. Or I did these things in the past. Or I looked this way. I cannot get the benefits that God is offering in salvation and deliverance. Let me just say this. If Egypt can get the benefits of God's salvation, let me just say this, you can too. This morning, be like the Egyptians who, who attached themselves to the Israelites, who said, I want to follow Yahweh in humble repentance and faith. This morning, your background, your history, whatever, whatever categories you put around yourself to say, I, I'm not good enough. I can't do these things. I can't be a part. None of those exclude you. And once they leave here, is that there's now a vigil going on. And we heard a couple weeks ago, Dr. David talked about vigils of staying alert and things like that. Prayer vigils and things. And, and look what this night, when they, leave out of, when they leave out of Egypt, what this night is for them. Verse 42. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the hand, land of Egypt. And so... This is a night of vigil, of watching for the Lord. It almost seems to me that the text is saying that the Lord is doing the watching here. What does this mean? The, the, it is a night of watching for the Lord. Well, I don't know if anybody's ever worked as a nighttime security officer or security guard. Anybody ever had that before? You know, I had a bunch of buddies in seminary who would do that those kind of late night jobs so that they could go to a, go to class during the day and then they would... They would do security jobs at night and stay on guard. They'd have to stay awake, drink lots of coffee, make sure there was no, you know, no, no, nobody coming in to break in or anything like that. So they always had to constantly be on guard, constantly be on watch, protecting whatever store, whatever they had to. But they were on guard. They were watching over their place, protecting it. 
And this is what seems to be the case here when it says it was a night of watching by the Lord, a vigil of the Lord, is that God is delivering Israel, but like a night officer, he is also protecting and guarding Israel in their exodus. And this is what Moses will say in Exodus 15 when it's this, this awesome song that Moses sings to God in Exodus 15. And one of the things that he says is this. He says, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. This is what, it, this is what God's doing. He's not just delivering his people out of Israel. He is guiding. He is shepherding them. He is protecting them along the way. And this morning, Saul's point, remember this, though it may feel differently, you may be sitting here thinking, yeah, I know God saved me, but it sure doesn't feel like he's here with me in this. And what we're seeing from these verses here, what we see across the Bible, is that God saves us and he shepherds us. He's not leaving you or forsaking you. He's not saying, okay, my job's done. I've saved you. You're on your way now. Get out. Good luck. Right? Sayonara. God does. God doesn't just save his people to leave his people. God saves his people to shepherd them along the way, to walk beside them. He gives us his spirit to guide us into all truth, what John says. This morning, you may feel so totally disconnected right now. Yeah, I know God saved me. I know Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I know I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, but I feel like that's where it stops. That's where it ends. That's all I've got. Let me just say this. God is continuing to guard, protect, and shepherd you, not just save you. He's a God who saves, he's a God who secures, and he's a God who shepherds. And right now, in this very moment, God is working in a million different ways that we do not know about right now to care and guard and guide us through this journey of life. It may not seem presently obvious right now to you, God is working in so an infinite amount of ways to not just deliver and save you, but to guide and direct you. Don't lose heart. And this guiding and this guarding that God does for Israel, this vigil, this watching that he does for them, is that this is also to stimulate something in us. Because the verse goes on to say that Israel is to do a vigil on the night when they celebrate the Passover. Why? Why do they do that? It's because this watching will serve as a reminder for Israel that God rescued them and watched over them as they walked out of Egypt. Furthermore, one author notes that God's keeping a vigil or a watching should serve as a motivator for Israel to keep their covenant. So God keep is keeping them. This motivates them to keep him, keep the covenant with him, right? God's faithfulness that night should stimulate Israel's faithfulness to him through the covenant. Christopher Wright says this, God was keeping his promise that night, and so Israelites should keep their covenant promises of love and obedience to God in this time. God keeps you and guards you, and you know what that should do for us, Cross Point? That should only stimulate and motivate us to keep, obeying him to keep walking with him because god's faithfulness never wavers on us cross point he is faithful to us despite our infidelity despite our disloyalty despite our fickleness god's faithfulness 
could stimulate our faithfulness to him. I would just ask you this morning, ask myself this morning, are you being unfaithful to the Lord in any area of your life? Is there an area of your life that you are being unfaithful to the Lord in? And once you answer that question, let me say this. The next question should be, has God ever been unfaithful to you? God's faithfulness should provoke our faithfulness to Him. If God never is faithful to you, should we ever be faithful to Him? Are you being unfaithful in an area of your life, whether it be your job, your church life, your family life, faith life, community life, whatever it may be, spiritual devotion, spiritual discipline, are you being unfaithful in an area? And if so, ask yourself this question. Has God ever been unfaithful to you? And then, and what the Bible says is this, 2 Timothy 1.13. If we are faithful, He remains faithful. And who cannot deny His faithfulness? Despite our faithlessness, He remains faithful. So God provides and protects for His people, but He also offers an invitation for even non-Israelites to embrace Him and enjoy the benefits of His deliverance. And this is the last point, point number three. God's prerequisites. So God has prerequisites for enjoying and participating in the life of His people. This is similar to what we do when we take the Lord's Supper. If you recall, when we do the Lord's Supper, one of us will get up and we'll explain the Lord's Supper, we'll explain who can partake of the Lord's Supper. So there are instructions before we partake the Lord's Supper. We don't just issue an open invitation for people and say, anybody in here, if you're hungry or if you're thirsty, we invite you to take the Lord's Supper. Have we ever done that before? No? We don't, we don't say that. Like, hey, if your stomach's hurting and you're hungry right now and you just want a little taste before lunch, go ahead, take the bread, take the cup, get a little swig, get a little bite to eat. We don't do that. We don't do an open invitation for anybody just, regardless of who you are, come and enjoy this. We are very clear because the Bible is very clear. We recognize this as a, a meal, a celebration for Christians. It's for those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ, who've repented of their sins, who have obeyed Jesus and his instructions and committed their lives to him. And God welcomes all those to come and enjoy, enjoy the Lord's Supper. And the same is true for the institution of the Passover. And this is what 43 through 51 is all about is that we've already seen the details about what they are to eat, how they are to eat, when they are to eat. We saw all that early on in Exodus chapter 12. But here, here in Exodus 12, 43 through 51, it's all about who can eat. Who can eat this Passover? Who can participate? Who can partake in this Passover? How is this, because we already know, this mixed multitude of people coming, how can, how can they participate in these things? And so God gives, some, God gives some parameters for who can partake. It's not just an open invitation for whoever feels like eating that day. And so God will say, no foreigner shall eat of it, no hired worker, all these different things. And I just have to say this, is that this isn't about excluding the foreigners or nationalities or ethnicities or races. God is not racist. He's not... He's not xenophobic or anything like that. No. These are prerequisites that God gives for the Passover that distinguishes between those who truly follow God 
and those nations who don't, right? That's what foreigner means. Other nations and peoples, maybe even Egyptians, they can reap the benefits of Yahweh's deliverance and salvation and the celebration by committing to Yahweh. And their commitment is demonstrated by circumcision. And so what God's saying is that is this. It would not be appropriate or acceptable for those who worship other gods, and that's what these terms mean, foreigner, hired worker. It means they don't really have a connection to Yahweh. They just might be there at the time. They might be worshiping other gods. It would not be appropriate for someone who is worshiping Baal or Molech or the gods of Egypt to come and participate in the festival that is meant to celebrate God, the only God, and the salvation that he has brought to his people. Yahweh is not their God. And for them to partake in this Passover meal, it would be disingenuous on their part. It would be a denigration to the celebration itself. And it would be an affront to Yahweh. Let, let me just, I'll use this as an example. And maybe this will connect with people who have served in the armed forces in any way. Let's say, you know, if, if one day myself, who I have not served in the armed forces in any way, if I were to wear fatigues in here one day, and I were to put some medals and some, some ribbons on myself and, and, and all these things, and, and even on Veterans Day, I stood to get appreciation because we, we honor our veterans on Veterans Day. We ask them to stand so that we can show our appreciation. And I'm wearing all these things, and I stand up, and y'all clap for me and things like that. You think that would be wrong? That would be terrible. That would be terrible for many reasons. One, I'd be lying because I haven't served. Two, it would be a denigration of the day itself, right? If anybody can just stand up, it, it remains, it doesn't, it's not special anymore. It's not unique. And three, it would be an insult to those who have served. It would be an insult to them. It would be an affront to them. You're an imposter, Wes. You're an imposter. And the same is true there, here with the Passover. Those who have not committed to Yahweh, who have not been circumcised, who may still follow other gods, they're not to partake of the Passover meal. They'd be an imposter. These stipulations that God gives Israel about the Passover meal, they're not meant to be racist. They're not meant to be xenophobic. They're not meant to be cliquish, exclusive, or elitist. None of these things. The reason God gives these parameters for partaking the Passover meal is because God is holy. Because God is holy. And that He is not just appeased by any random person participating in the meal without committing their lives to Him. That's not okay. He's not happy with that. That doesn't appease Him. God is not appeased by mere participation without genuine commitment to him. As for those of other nations, it wasn't appropriate or appeasing to God that they participated in the Passover without committing themselves to the Lord, right? And the same is true today. God is not satisfied with mere participation when he is calling his people and requiring a commitment that requires one to die to oneself, that requires one to take up a cross. That requires one to surrender all things. Cross for him alone.
last day, when we stand before God, he does not hand out participation trophies. God does not hand out participation trophies. Here you go, you did good job just being in the game. Good job just being there and existing. God doesn't hand out participation trophies. He will differentiate between mere participants and those who have committed to him. And that is why spiritually then will you be Will you be a mere participant who just existed and showed up? Or will you be one of the ones that are being a true and faithful servant who have committed their life to him? This is what the Passover is meaning when he is giving the stipulations that not just anyone can come and partake, but those who are committed. And look, if you are a foreigner, if if you're an Egyptian, you're not Israelite, guess what? God invites you to come and be part of his people. He says, you can participate in the Passover if you demonstrate your commitment to me through circumcision. Foreigners are welcome to enjoy the benefits of salvation and the celebration of the Passover by identifying with Yahweh through true commitment and faith and obedience. They are not treated as second-class citizens in God's covenant community. They are welcome to enjoy the benefits of the covenant community and receive the same benefits as ethnic Israel. Listen to this. Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 56 about foreigners wanting to be a part of God's community. It says this, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be His servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. God invites the foreigners. He invites the outsiders to say, look, don't be participants. Be committed to me and you can enjoy all the benefits of salvation in Christ Jesus. And this morning, that is the invitation for you this morning, is that you're not all, you don't have to be on the outside. You don't have to be a foreigner. But guess what? You cannot be a participant. God will not be, ex- he will not accept that. He will not be appeased by that. That will not be appealing to him. He wants those who have committed their life to him to worship and serve him. This morning, don't be a participant. Be committed to the Lord. Because even in this passage right here, he is setting our minds and our focus on Jesus Christ, to be committed to the sacrificial Passover lamb. As Dr. David read from John chapter 19, that this scripture passage, Exodus 12, is fulfilled in the death and crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ, where no bone was broken, just as was said, that no bone of the Passover lamb would be broken. Jesus is the true Passover lamb, the final Passover lamb that atones and cleanses us from our sins, that gives us forgiveness, that gives us righteousness, that protects and guards us from coming judgment and wrath. And this morning, this morning, the way that you tap into that salvation, the way that you gain the benefits of the salvation in Christ Jesus is not to participate, but to commit oneself to Jesus Christ through faith and repentance. That's how you get the benefits of salvation and being part of God's people. Christ, repent and believe. He is the true Passover lamb. that we can have all the
I struggle with parenting and I'm just learning how to actually use those graces in our conversations and learning how in service and how you would bring us to our feet and not just give me the cookie. And acknowledge to those in our congregation that all have that all committed, that God, you would help them to recognize how to work, that you would help them to have 